Father, we thank you for this time now that we're able to come and to look into your word. We thank you, though, for the reminder that we had through the songs. The songs that we can come and sing praises to you. The song that we can the, to remind us that we lift our voices in praise. But also the reminders of the other songs of what we celebrate this time of year. Of the incarnation of Christ. Of God the Son stepping into the world. Stepping into time and history veiled as, veiled as a man. Fully God and yet fully human. So that we might come to know you and to not only be saved from an eternity without you, but that we might be saved to an eternity with you. Help us now as we look into our study. Help us to remember where we are, where we are, what we have seen already, and the core idea here of forgiveness. But Father, I pray that we uh, understand the book just a little bit better as we look through this main portion. Help us to see the practicality of the book. We pray these things, Father, in the name of your Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. You'll remember last time when we were in Philemon, we looked at verses 1 through 7 and primarily at verses uh, 5, 6, and 7, which was Paul's prayer for Philemon. But we saw that how the, uh, the, the principles, the characteristics of forgiveness is drawn out of these things that he prays for and about Philemon, of, his, of having a love and concern for the, the church and for the fellow saints, a faith, and for in Christ and a concern for the glory of Christ, but also a concern to grow and realize that even the act of forgiveness is an aspect in our growth and maturity in Christ. And now we come to the main portion of the letter. Here, Paul brings his request to Philemon concerning Onesimus. Paul's request is one that comes from a friend about another friend. And at the same time, Paul reminds Philemon of their relationship and Philemon's new relationship with Onesimus. So we're going to look at verses 8 through 12 first, and we'll also look at verse 17 for just a minute. So starting in verse 8. Therefore, though I might be very bold in Christ to command you what is fitting, Yet for love's sake, I rather appeal to you, being such as one as Paul, the aged, and now also a prisoner of, Christ, of Jesus Christ, I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, whom I have begotten while in my chains, who once was unprofitable to you, but now is profitable to you and to me. I am sending him back. You therefore receive him, that is, my own heart. And then jumping down to verse 17, if then you count me as a partner, receive him as you would me. So here in this group of verses, we see Paul's plea. Here is the actual plea that Paul, Paul is bringing to Philemon. And in verses 8 and 9, we see that this is not a command. It's not a command. Paul brings the request here known as a, a plea, as an appeal, but it's not a command. 
He spoke directly, gently, and with a note of authority, but he didn't command Philemon to receive or to accept Onesimus. Paul rather appealed to Philemon's Christian character. Paul states right at the beginning of verse 8 that, that he has the boldness or the confidence to command Philemon to do the right thing. He could have used his apostolic authority. He's certainly done that before in his letters. In 1 and 2 Corinthians, Paul had to defend his ministry and his apostolic authority within the church. And in these letters, he reminds the church that as an apostle of Christ, he spoke with authority from Christ concerning the church and Christian living. In essence, he was Christ's mouthpiece. Very specifically, Paul exercised his authority in 1 Corinthians 5 when addressing a sin issue within the, within the church. He tells the church that the way that they were handling it, the way that they were ignoring it, and even celebrating it, was not right. That they were ignoring it and celebrating it, and this, that this was wrong, and that they needed to put this man out of the church. He said, I've already judged him. So, when you meet together, whether I'm there or not, put him out of the church. He is not doing what is right. You know it. He's not repentant. He needs to go out. Paul used his apostolic authority there with the church. But he doesn't want to do that with Philemon. Paul knew that this would not have been helpful, or maybe even right for Paul, to, have, to help Philemon this way. It would have been better to have helped Philemon to experience the blessing of forgiveness by forgiving Onesimus, or it would help him grow in grace, to grow in Christ. Paul knew that law would be a weaker motivator than love. Paul could have said, you need to forgive him and accept him and move on. And if Philemon would have obeyed, it would have just been out of Law, I was told to forgive him. I have to take him back. Well, that's not as strong motivator as Christian love. And so Paul appeals to Philemon. And he makes this appeal for love's sake. Now the word we have in verse 9, appeal, it also uh, shows up again in verse 10, is the same word that is found in Romans 12, 1. I beseech you, I urge you, I appeal to you. Here it is used in a sense of making a strong, strong request. This word is used in the same sense in Mark 5, when Jairus implores Christ to come and heal his daughter. Paul's appeal is on the basis of love, and this is likely the love that he knew Philemon already had and had expressed to other believers. Verse 5 and verse 7. Paul was seeking Philemon for Philemon to express his Christian love toward Onesimus, and, and Paul by receiving and forgiving Onesimus. Paul seems to add to this appeal that, in that he reminds Philemon of his situation. He was an old man and a prisoner of Christ Jesus. 
Paul may have been about 60 at this time, which was a good old age in this day. And it's possible that he appeared even older after years of imprisonment, beatings, poor food, persecutions, difficult traveling, illness, worry, and concern for the churches. 2 Corinthians 11, 23-30. And for many years, especially in that time period, an a older individual, especially an older man, was seen to have experience and wisdom and had a level of authority there. So he may have been hinting at this a little bit. I'm, even though me, Paul, the aged, and now a prisoner of Christ, I mean, there was little he could do to help, but he could encourage Philemon to do this. Paul's description of himself may have helped Philemon be more sympathetic to Paul's appeal. Paul was limited in what he could do for Onesimus, and the restoration and restitution of Onesimus rested with Philemon. But Paul's appeal on behalf of Onesimus was also a heartfelt one for him. And we'll see this in verses 10 through 12 and verse 17, a heartful, heartfelt appeal, a heartfelt plea, a heartfelt plea. He gets into the meat here. He says, I appeal to you for my son Onesimus. Paul now gets to the actual appeal. And in verse 10 is the only time that Onesimus is named in the letter, though he is at the heart of the letter. Paul gives news about Onesimus and calls him my son. This tells Philemon that Onesimus is now a believer, a disciple of Jesus Christ. We don't know exactly what happened or how it happened, but somehow Onesimus made it to Paul's residence in Rome. Perhaps Onesimus began to seek Paul out. Perhaps he was seen by Epaphras or Timothy and brought to Paul. However it happened, Paul and Onesimus were reunited in Rome, where the Lord saved Rome, saved Onesimus through Paul's personal ministry to him. But on a side note, I want you to think about this. Try and realize kind of even the danger for Paul and the others, as well as Onesimus, if any of this was discovered while he was in Rome. If the Roman guards discovered that Onesimus was a runaway slave, there was a fair amount of danger involved here. Onesimus uh, could have uh, been dragged back to Philemon. He could have been branded on the forehead with an F for fugitivus, fugitive, runaway. He may have been executed quickly there in Rome. Paul and his comrades could have been charged with a heavy financial penalty, and this may have even hurt Paul's appeal to Caesar. There was some risk to Paul and Timothy aiding Onesimus here. But as he now sends him back to Philemon, he sends Onesimus back no longer as just a slave, because Onesimus was now in Christ. He stood before Christ on the same level as Philemon and Paul, 
Colossians 3.11. For here there is no Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Before Christ, we all stand on the same level. Paul continues to indicate Onesimus' new life with an apparent play on words in verse 11. Now, the name Onesimus was very common for slaves and could literally be translated as useful or profitable. In verse 11, Paul states that Onesimus was once unprofitable to Philemon, but, now, but was now profitable. Now, the words unprofitable, profitable there in verse 11, they come from the same root word, but are obviously meant as opposites to each other. However, they are not from the same root as the word Onesimus. They're completely different, um, but that word profitable is seen as a synonym with Onesimus. So there may be a little play on words here. Hey, he ran away. He was unprofitable for you. He was useless to you. But now he's been useful. He's been useful to me, and he is useful to you. Now he's living up to his name. He seems to be indicating that Onesimus had betrayed his name by running away. Possibly he was not even a very productive or good worker before he ran away. He may only had been useful or worked hard when Philemon was present. But now, through this play on words, Paul was saying Onesimus was different. He now lived up to his name and would prove to be useful or profitable to Philemon because he has proved that way to Paul. Pragmatically, this may have strengthened Paul's plea to Philemon. Well, if he's actually going to be useful now, then there may be some profit in bringing him back. But what Paul is saying is that Onesimus is now living out what Paul was exhorting those slaves in the Colossian church to do and to be. Colossians 3, verses 22 to 25. Bondservants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with the sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the, as for the Lord and not for men knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are, serving, you are serving the Lord Christ, for the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Paul, in the letter to, Coloss to the Colossians, exhorts the bondservants, those that are, in, that are slaves, to work as if they're working for the Lord, no matter what they're doing to be good workers, whether their boss, whether their slave owner or the, or the taskmaster above them is watching them or not. But Paul wasn't just sending Philemon a good worker who happens to be a believer. He was sending someone who had, he had grown close to. Paul tells Philemon that he is sending Onesimus back. But he did more than just tell Philemon that Onesimus was on his way and, or that he had sent him. Onesimus was likely standing there face to face with Philemon. Paul says in verse 12 that he was not just sending Onesimus back to Philemon. Paul says that he was sending his own heart to Philemon. 
Now Paul's speaking figuratively. He obviously didn't send his physical heart to him, but he was sending someone he had gotten to know and a bond had been formed with. The word heart here is that same word that he used up in verse 7, the one that literally means bowels or inner parts. You'll remember that there was some Greek thought that held that the emotions stemmed from the inner parts, and that's the word that is used to reference that. Paul is saying that, he has, that he, his emotions run deep when it con concerns Onesimus, that this was not just a superficial, surface-level affection for someone who was another believer, but real care and concern for a man that had been helpful to him since his conversion there in Rome. Paul knew that Philemon would find the same man Paul was talking about if he would take Onesimus back. Verse 12 may indicate that Onesimus himself was the bearer of this letter, that he carried this letter back to Philemon. While Tychicus, who went with him, may have carried the letters for Colossians and Ephesians. And then in verse 17, Paul says he's sending, if you consider me a partner. Verse 17 says, so if you consider me a partner, receive him as you would receive me. Paul here exhorts Philemon to welcome Onesimus back as he would welcome Paul, especially since Philemon counts or considers Paul as a partner. Now the word partner comes from koinonian, or is from koinonian, which comes from the word koinonia, which is Paul used up in verse 6 as sharing or fellowship. It's that bond of doing life together, possibly in this case, to some degree doing ministry together. Paul's saying, if you count me as a partner in ministry, as a partner in life, as we walk through this Christian life together, receive Onesimus back as you would receive me. Paul has stated in the previous verses that we've looked at, and he will say it again in verse 13, that Onesimus has become a dear friend to Paul, that he as dear a friend to Paul as he counted Philemon. So for Philemon not to forgive Onesimus would be like rejecting Paul, the apostle, his friend, his fellow worker, a brother, and a partner. This takes us down into verses 13 to 16. Whom I wished to keep with me, that on your behalf you might minister to me in my chains for the gospel. But without your consent, I wanted to do nothing, that your good deed might not be by compulsion, as it were, but voluntary. For perhaps he departed for a while for this purpose, that you might receive him forever no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother, especially to me, but now much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So here in verses 13 to 16, we see Christian brotherhood. Christian brotherhood. We see elements of the Christian brotherhood here in these verses. First, we see Paul's relationships. 
Paul's relationship with Onesimus was one of concern and care for him. We saw that in the plea of those previous verses. But even here in verse 13, while he has referred to Onesimus as his son, which indicates that he had the privilege to lead Onesimus to the Lord for salvation, and that before Christ they stood on equal ground and were brothers in the Lord. All true born-again believers are part of God's family. Romans 8, 14-17, Galatians 4, 4-7, uh, 1 John uh, 3, 1-2. And so, as believers, we are spiritually brothers and sisters in Christ with each other, but also brothers and sisters to Christ. Mark 3, 34-35 and Romans 8, 29. So, while both Onesimus or Philemon could have been helpful to Paul, being in prison for his testimony of Christ, and in one sense, if Onesimus stayed to help Paul, it would have been on Philemon's behalf, since Onesimus was there. Paul would have liked him to stay. But Paul's, with, Paul's relationship with Philemon would not allow him to do so. His relationship with uh, Philemon, which I already mentioned in both verse 7 and verse 20, he refers to Philemon as his brother. And one way Paul's concern for his relationship with Philemon is seen in verse 14. But without your consent, I wanted to do nothing that your good deed might not be by compulsion, as it were, but voluntary. Paul could have kept Onesimus there with him and just sent a letter back to Philemon, letting him know that Onesimus was there, that Paul was going to keep him there so that he could help out. But Paul didn't want to take advantage of Philemon or of their relationship. While technically keeping a slave without consent of the slave owner could not be done, I've also found as I was doing some study that a Roman citizen, as Paul was, was not required to return a slave if the slave master was a provincial. Now. We need to understand this a little bit. Colossae was a Roman, was a city in the Roman territory of Asia Minor, in a province of Phrygia, or Phrygia. But that did not automatically make the citizens of the city of Colossae Roman citizens. They could have done something well on behalf of the empire and been rewarded. They could have held a political office within the city and earned it, but it wasn't automatic. Just because you were a city in the, in the empire didn't mean you were automatically a Roman citizen. There was extra status there. And from what I could find, Colossae was not considered a Roman colony like uh, Philippi was, because there was a whole different level of, of citizenship there. Paul, we know, was a Roman citizen. We see this throughout Acts. Acts 16, 35, and 39. There when he confronts the magistrates in Philippi saying, you beat me, a Roman citizen, without charge and without trial. Now you want me to leave and sweep all this under the rug? No, this isn't going to happen. 
in Acts 22, verses 25 to 29, after the, the riot in the temple complex, and he is saved by the Romans from the Jews, he is about to be examined by being flogged by the Romans. But he says, wait, is this legal for you to flog a Roman citizen who's uncondemned and uncharged? And he has a conversation with the, with the tribune there, like, you're a Roman citizen, I bought my citizenship. Paul says, I was born a citizen, which means his father had citizenship and that passed down. And then in, and in chapter 25, verses 9 to 12, when he's standing before Festus, and he says, why do you want me to go back to Jerusalem? I'm standing before Caesar's tribunal. Give me a trial. You're not going to? Take me to Caesar. He couldn't do that if he were not a Roman citizen. That's why he was in Rome at the time. Now, there's no evidence in Scripture that Philemon was a Roman citizen, but merely a citizen of a provincial city in the territory of Asia. So, technically, Paul did not have to send Onesimus back to him. He could have kept him there. But Paul knew that Onesimus had run away. Philemon did not send him to Paul. Paul would rather have kept that bond of his relationship with Philemon intact and let Philemon voluntarily send Onesimus than be it by compulsion. We don't know if Philemon sent Onesimus back to Paul but it's certainly an interesting thought to think he did. But then Paul then turns and addresses Philemon's changed relationship with Onesimus. And we see Philemon's new relationship here. In verse 15, Paul seems to be trying to get Philemon to look at the situation from a larger picture, from an eternal standpoint. Though Philemon had lost Onesimus for a short time, it was only temporary. But he needed to think that maybe God was at work through Onesimus' running away to bring Onesimus to the point of a decision that he would place his faith in Jesus Christ. Now that Onesimus had, had been returned to Philemon, he was not just a slave. He was a fellow believer. He was a fellow brother in Christ. Paul refers to Onesimus as a beloved brother to himself in Colossians 4.9 when he's giving information to, to the Colossian church. And here he tells Philemon that is exactly the relationship he and Onesimus have the opportunity to have with each other. He's been returned to you even not just as a slave, but as a beloved brother. Now there is debate as to whether Paul is trying to indicate here that he hopes Philemon would give Onesimus his freedom um, and not just, not just accept him back, but grant him his freedom, or that he's just trying to repair the relationship between the two men. And, and 
indicating that there's a new level to their relationship here, as they are both being in the Lord. I think the straightforward reading, the normal reading of this section, indicates the repairing and the renewing of the relationship, and not, and, and not that added dimension of you trying to, to free Onesimus, but just repairing and renewing that relationship, and including that added dimension of now there's a shared spiritual relationship between the two of them. Paul reminds those slave owners in the Colossian church that they have a responsibility to fairly and justly treat their slaves because they have the same heavenly master as their believing slaves do. Colossians 4.1 Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. He says something very similar and a little bit longer in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 9. So there was a change in relationship for Philemon and Onesimus, and this is what Paul was trying to get at. And as we look at this section, we see that Paul's concern was for his dear friends to reconcile and to maintain a good relationship with, for, with Philemon they are seen as evidences here of how Christian faith is to be lived out in our daily lives. Paul graciously and humbly explained the fact that Onesimus was now a believer and the change in his life that he had seen in him since that time, allowing him to bond with Onesimus in a similar way that he had bonded a relationship with Philemon. Paul reminded Philemon of the truths of equal spiritual stance every believer has before Christ. The one that one believer is not above another or better than another, but that the familial bond every believer has with one another through our shared faith in Christ. Paul's letter to Philemon is kind of a case study of what this looks like in the daily life. It's a practical study of what Christianity looks like. And in one sense, it's where Paul's theology and doctrine from Romans through Titus are seen in real life. And in one sense, Paul is putting his money where his mouth is. He could have ordered Philemon to take him back. He didn't need to send Onesimus back. But he was trying to live out what he had been teaching the churches and exhorting the churches, trying to get his two friends to remember what they had learned and what they had been taught, and to reconcile, and to see the practical side of the doctrine that he had written from Romans through Titus. Not that all of those letters had been written yet, but you were seeing where the real practical side of Paul's theology for the most of his writing. This is where we're going to have to end at the moment. And there's so much more in Philemon. Let's bow for a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for the reminder that we have in this short letter that there is a practical side to the doctrine 
and the teaching and the theology that you have given us in your word. Help us understand that a little bit better. Help us not to just gain a head knowledge of what your word says, but help us to live out what we recognize you want us to do. Sometimes it's hard for us to reconcile with others, but you want us to reconcile with our fellow believers as much as possible. Because, Lord, you have forgiven us so much, there is really nothing that we can't forgive a brother or sister in Christ. Help us to remember these, these truths. Help us to recognize the practicality of our Christian life and how these things can, can be fleshed out as we live day to day, trying to be good disciples of Christ. We pray these things, Father, in the name of your Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.